open our hearts up to God. Lord, it's not what we do. It is not um, the effort that we put forth that makes a difference in our lives and in our communities. God, I acknowledge it's not my words. It's not our ability to hear your words. It's the power of the Spirit which comes alongside of us and puts spiritual force to the actions and the words and the thoughts that we have, Lord. So I pray that uh, in every one of our hearts, wherever we are, mentally, spiritually, emotionally today, that your spirit would be close to us and begin to speak words of life and speak your word to our hearts, Lord. So please be with us as we look at your word, as we explore what you have for us. In your name, Lord, amen. Amen. So we're in the Gospel of Luke today. This is the first time that we are exploring a New Testament uh, text since, really since the first couple weeks that I was here. We've been looking through Samuel. Last week we did Jeremiah, and now we're in Luke. Uh, Edward, Brother Edward preached out of Matthew, so I'll, I'll give you that. But this is the first time I get to really dive into a New Testament text with you, which I'm very excited about. Um, so let's, let's go through this now. In verse 1, of course, we had this sort of tongue twister thing. Let's just kinda, I'm going to just read it to you really quick. All right. So this is Luke 3, verses 1 through 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis. See, I can't even. My hat's off to you, Dave. And Lysanzius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And when we look at this, let's first kind of think about when this is being written, when, what, what's going on here. Obviously, I don't think Luke would give us this information if he didn't have a particular reason for spelling out exactly what this is all about. Uh, Luke himself is probably a Gentile, uh, there's not a lot of um, indication in his letters, but it's by tradition that Luke is a Gentile. We think he was probably a doctor, some kind of physician, uh, writing during this time. And so he's very precise. He's very straightforward. He wants you to know exactly when this is happening. So he gives enough information that we can pinpoint this is probably 28 or 29 uh, A.D., 28 or 29 A.D., about then, is when, is when all of these people were kind of at the same time, ruling in different places. These are actually historical people um, that we can find outside of Scripture. And if, so if you match up, okay, this person was ruling here and this person was ruling here, about 28 or 29 A.D. is what we're talking about, okay? And uh, one of the things that I want to point out here, we look at this, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius. So we have a few names here. Tiberius. We have Pontius Pilate. We have Herod, who was uh, sort of the, he was the ruler of Galilee, but he was like a state-imposed ruler. You know, sort of like how you kind of hear rumors about the CIA entering a country and putting up a puppet government. That was what Herod was all about. Herod was sort of the Roman puppet government of this area, right? And the point that I think is trying to be communicated here, and the point that I want to get across is that at this time and in this place, people were not in charge of their own lives. They had rulers ruling above them, not of their own making. Right? 
The people who are listed here are people who occupy places of power, places of domination over their lives. They didn't have control over their own destiny. If you're a Jew living in Israel at this time, you don't have control over your own destiny. Right? You belong to somebody else. Your taxes go to pay people who you've never seen and will never receive any real material benefits from. Uh, the people around you who are of weapons and who are there to protect you are people from a foreign nation. Um, your autonomy is ruled by another. And, and that's really something very foreign for us, I think, at times. Um, because we live in uh, sort of a republic. We live in a democracy where we get to vote people in and vote people out. And that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, but at this particular point in history, that's not the case. What would it mean for us to live in a place, to be in a place where what you do in your life, how you spend your money, where you go, who you are, is dictated not by you but by somebody else? And I want to really key in on that because I think Luke is really making a point here. People's lives are not in their own hands. Their destinies are not controlled by themselves. They're controlled by other people. And at this time in history, at this time in history, the word of God comes, verse 2, to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now, if you've read the earlier part of Luke, you know a little bit about who John is, but I'll kind of give you an introduction to him. He's the son of a priest. So Zechariah was a priest in the temple, and uh, one day Zechariah's in there. He's doing his priestly duties, and an angel shows up. And the angel says, uh, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and I want you to name him John. And Zechariah said, I don't know how that's going to happen because I'm getting on an age and my wife is getting on an age and I don't know if you know this angel, but when humans advance in age, you know, producing children's not what you do when you get older, right? And the angel says, well, actually, uh, first of all, I stand before God, um, the one who created, you know, everything. So he has a plan for getting this done. And because of your unbelief now, I'm going to go ahead and say that you're not going to be able to talk at all until the baby is born. And so it's because of this thing, right? Zachariah is the guy who's kind of talked about in the village, I think, right? He's the mute. He can't talk now. For nine months, he's, he's without a voice. And uh, he comes out, and he's waving his arms. He's trying to communicate to people. He's seen something. Uh, people are like, what on earth happened? And now finally, suddenly, nine months later, miraculously, John is born. And when he's born, they ask Zechariah, what should his name be? And Zechariah writes down his name should be John. And then he, all of a sudden he can speak again. So John, the Baptist, who we meet here in uh, chapter 3, has a reputation. He has a reputation. People have heard this story. These communities are not large communities. These communities are several hundred people. A thousand people in a community at this time would be huge. That would be a large city for this particular period of history. So people know about these stories. They know about John and his history. And they know there's got to be something about this guy. There's something about this guy. Do you, have you heard the story of his birth? Have you heard the story of, you know, what happened? So John has this reputation, and now he's been sort of living in the wilderness for a little while. But the word of God comes to him. The word of God comes to John at a particular time when people are not in control of their own destinies. The word of God comes to John and begins to change John's perspective, begins to change John's life. 
and he begins to preach, and he begins to step out in ministry. And this is my point. If you're living at a time in a world where people are considered just anybody, lost in the crowd, when the word of God comes to you, he makes you somebody. God looks at you and sees somebody. He begins to draw out particular things in you. If we think about, uh, you know, our particular state in this, in this world, you know, we are all sort of caught up in uh, another group of people's machinations of what this world should be like, right? I mean, I love the United States of America, but I don't necessarily agree with all the laws that are in this country, right? But yet I'm, I'm wrapped up in it. I'm a part of it, Right? We're all a part of it. We're a part of the societies that we are, we're living in, not necessarily even of our own doing, or maybe even if we disagree with them at times, we're still a part of those things. And I think about that in terms of my life, too. You know, I'm a part of this city. I'm a part of this community. You know, and at times I have space and I have a platform to preach and to you know, extend maybe a little bit of influence. Um, but ultimately, my influence is kind of small. I, I get kind of lost in the crowd. I'm, I think about my own family, you know. <laughs> How many would love to have a little more influence in their own family? Yeah. Sometimes you kind of get lost in the crowd, but when the Word of God comes to you, when the Spirit of God comes to you, He takes anybody and He makes them into somebody. When God looks over the face of the earth, He sees you. He doesn't see any, any grouping of He sees you. And He says, I have a particular plan for you. I have a particular vision for your life. I have a particular empowerment for you and a particular future. God is a particular God where he speaks life into us as people. And he takes anybody's and he makes them into somebody's. And that's what he did here with John. So the word of God comes to John. John's living in the wilderness at a time when he would not have power over his own destiny. And the word of God came to him. And so he begins to go out, this is verse 3, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now all of a sudden, John is somebody. Woo. John is somebody. And people start to kind of empty the towns. They want to come and see what he's got to say. The Spirit of God is moving on this guy. I want to see what's going on here. So they start coming out of the towns, and they meet John in the wilderness. And John is preaching a baptism for the repentance of sins. And that's very interesting. I want to just look at that for a second. Repentance of sins. Now, what's interesting about this is that baptism, as a practice, uh, it was being used among some Jews in this particular time. Uh, there was a community of uh, people that produced some of the texts that we have as the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've ever heard of that. Um, some of the people that wrote those books were living in a desert community, and they were practicing baptism. They would, do bad. they would baptize each other as a way of purification. But baptism as a ritual wasn't widely practiced among Jews. Except in one case. And that was when you are a Gentile and you want to become a Jew, then you would be baptized as an act of purification, as an act of uh, supplementing and you know, submitting to Judaism. If you're a Gentile and you want to become a Jew, then, you become, then you're going to go and be baptized. And when John comes and begins to preach a baptism of the forgiveness for sins, and I imagine people in that time saying, baptism? Why do I need to be baptized? 
I'm already Jewish. What do I need to be baptized for? And John says, no, no, no. This isn't about converting into Judaism. This is about something needs to change inside of your heart. There's something that needs to change that even though you're already a Jew, even though you're already, brothers and sisters, maybe I'll go as pointed to say, even though you're already a Christian, there's still something in your heart that needs to change. There's still something on the inside that needs to change. Is there something, I wonder, in your hearts that still is holding back a little bit from God? Is there something in our hearts today that needs to be changed? Is there a repentance that we need to do You know, when we repent, it's not just about saying, um, I acknowledge that I've done something wrong. It's about acknowledging that you've done something wrong and then turning from that thing. Repentance is a process of not only acknowledging wrongdoing, but moving on into a new direction, into a new way of living. Is there something, I wonder, in our hearts that we need to repent of? And John comes and he's very radical and people are, People are drawing to him. And in fact, a few people uh, in different stories, they wonder, is this guy the Christ? Is this the Messiah? He's very charismatic. He's very, he's groups of people, crowds of people are around him. They're listening to what he has to say. And he's preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And this message of John's is, is the same for us today. Repent, believe, receive, be baptized. Verse 4, Luke points us to Isaiah. He says, this guy comes from the desert. He's preaching a baptism of forgiveness. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the ways of the Lord. John is a great role model of what it means to be a Christian evangelist. His power doesn't come from himself. His power doesn't come from himself. It comes from the person that he's pointing towards. Right? I think a lot of times, I remember when I was young, I was in youth, youth group, and um, my youth pastor would talk about like evangelism, like reaching people for Jesus. And he would say things like, you need to go reach people for Jesus. And I would think to myself, I have no idea what that means, number one. Number two, what? I'm supposed to go up to somebody and say, you know, are you saved? Because if you're not, you're going to hell. I could not think in myself, in my own strength, of how I could approach evangelism, right? And I think that the problem is that we've told people to evangelize, but we've never told them the spirit of evangelism. The spirit of evangelism is Christ. The spirit of evangelism. That emanates through John here. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Come and repent. That spirit of Christ which moves through him isn't his own spirit. It's not his own, uh, you know, working up of it. Frothing at the mouth and yelling and screaming as loud as he can. It's the spirit of Christ which comes in there and begins to bring conviction and that sort of thing. So when, when we talk about evangelism, I want to remind us that evangelism works through the Spirit of Christ. What does that mean? Maybe that means you serve people. Maybe it means you serve people as Christ served people. Right? Jesus said this beautiful thing. If you remember at the uh, Last Supper, right? He's just about to die. And he stands up and he puts a towel around his waist. And he gets down and he starts to wash people's feet. 
And it's, I, I still think that we don't quite understand what he's doing there because it's like Peter. Peter says, oh, gosh, don't, don't do that. Don't wash my feet. Wash my feet? Please, no, I should be washing your feet. And I think that sometimes the church, we sometimes approach Jesus like that. We see Jesus serving people in this really radical, offensive way. And we're like, oh, gosh, I don't know. And sometimes it might be easier, actually, to tell people if you're not a Christian you're going to hell than to actually figure out how I can get down on my knees and serve them. That's a hard path to take. But it's the Spirit of Christ which comes in as a servant and says, no, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to wash your feet. So when we do family promise, when we do, you know, uh, when we deliver, we gave a little gifts to our neighbors. When you, in your own lives, in your own businesses, reach out and serve people, you know, when you go the extra mile, when you see somebody who needs food and you feed them, when you do those things, that's the Spirit of Christ working through you. That's the Spirit of Christ which goes through you. And, and here's the point. The point is that John was not satisfied with gathering a bunch of crowds to himself. He was constantly and always pointing them towards Jesus. That's the guy that you want. That's the guy that you want. Okay. That's the Holy Spirit working through us. Jesus Jesus is the one who saves, and we need to point to him. In one way, this uh, message that John is preaching here, we're going to get the rest of what uh, Luke is getting out of Isaiah. This message, let's look at it. He says, uh, Isaiah describes him, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In one way, this is message that John is bringing is, uh, the big fancy word for it is eschatological. You say eschatological. Eh, that's pretty good. Try to say that five times fast, though. Eschatological, 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 eschatological. Um, that's, a, that's like a 20-cent word there. Uh, eschatological, it means, it means it refers to the end times. It refers to what's going to happen at the very end. That there's going to come a day, and this is a word of encouragement, I think, for us too. There's going to come a day when all of those rough places are going to be made smooth. When all of those mountains that you've had to climb up are going to be brought low. And all those deep valleys of death that you've had to walk through are going to be filled in. There's something eschatological about that. There's a hope to that message. That you know what, I realize that hardship happens in this life, but there is a bright morning on the way. There is something good that's coming, right? There's something to look forward to. And I think John is sort of pointing to that. Guys, there's something and there's someone to look forward to, right? There's something that's just around the corner. That's, es- that's eschatology. There's something that's just around the corner that we're waiting for that's good. And there's something about that here, which is, yeah, it's hopeful, it's good. But I think there's another part of the message here as well. It's not just talking about there's something coming. I think he's also talking about there's something that's come. There's something here and now. Not just something that's in the future, but in a way John's pointing to his contemporaries and he's saying, the Savior is here. 
Are you prepared to meet him today? Are you, do you have hills or mountains in your heart? Is there a valley in your heart that's stopping the access of Christ there? Is there something that you need to fill in? Something that needs to be brought low in your life so that Christ can have a straight path into your heart? Have we prepared the terrain of our heart to receive the Lord? It's not enough that God has offered us salvation through Christ. At some point, you have to stand up and say, all right, let's see where it goes. You have to grab a hold of the hem of his garment as he passes by. There's this song. I don't know if you know, uh, I don't know if you know this one. It goes like this. It goes, pass me not, O gentle Savior, Hear my humble cry, while others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I'm calling Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling do not pass me by let me at thy throne of mercy Find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition. Help my unbelief. If you picked it up now, I'm calling Savior, Savior. Hear my humble cry here. My humble cry while on others, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by while on others, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Is that cry of our heart, Lord, don't pass me by. Don't let, don't let yourself go past me, Lord, I need you now. I need you, Jesus. It's that call of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't pass me by, please, please. I just, I need a touch from you, please. It's not just something that happens in the future. It's not only a life of eternity that we have to look forward to. There's something today for you. There's something today for you. We need Jesus today. God, I need you in the future, but Lord, I need you right now. Lord, I, I would love to have eternal life in the future, but God, my life right now needs help. My temporary life needs help. I need help in the mundane things of life. 
Lord, I got some finances I need you to help with. God, I got, a, I got something in my body that I need to be healed from. Lord, there's something that's grown up in my heart that's a, a root of unforgiveness that I can't get rid of. I can't get beyond this. There's something here that I need help with today. Don't pass me by, Lord. Don't pass me by. And as we worship God, as we enter his presence, as we come into contact with Jesus, that's where God meets us there and begins to address those things. So this is what I have for you today. Have you reached out to Jesus in your heart? Have you cried out to him, Lord? Don't pass me by, Lord. Don't pass me by, Jesus. The plain truth of John's message reverberates through to today. So I want to take some time. We're going to take some time to sing, to pray, to worship, and say, Lord, don't pass us by. I didn't, uh, don't have anything planned for this. But we're going to just take some time to sing. Is that all right? Take some time to sing. Let's sing this one here. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as
There's something precious about that. And um, so I want to encourage you for the next few minutes, our, our membership meeting is going to start at, uh, we said it was going to start at noon, uh, quarter till. We'll probably start to gather down there, and if people, enough people are down there, we'll start at quarter till. Um, but please be encouraged. Would you love on somebody? Would you just hug them and give them a, a high five? And we have some kids downstairs. And here's the thing about kids. I love kids. Would you do me a personal favor? Before you leave here today, would you give one of those kids a high five and just encourage him a little bit? And just, you know, give him an encouraging word. Tell him that they're doing great. It is hard to be a kid nowadays. I mean, it's, it's always hard to be a kid, but, but these are hard times. All right, so would you just encourage one another, encourage the kids downstairs. If you want to be a member, God bless you. Come downstairs about 15 minutes. Uh, if not, God bless you, and we'll see you next week. All right.